2 Timothy chapter 3 and 2 Peter chapter 1. Earlier this week, I was asked a very interesting, thought-provoking question that I have been contemplating and striving to answer more thoroughly throughout the progression of the week. And the specific question that was presented to me was, is it normal to feel a change after you get saved? Is it normal to feel a change after you get saved? The more I thought about this question, the more I realized what an attention-grabbing question it was and how this question is often associated with other questions such as, Is it customary to feel certain feelings when you believe on Christ for salvation? What kind of feelings will someone have when God changes someone's heart? Will everyone feel a change when they personally receive the gift of salvation or only some people? And then if others do feel certain feelings, to what extent will they feel certain feelings? And the more I pondered the question asked of me and the questions that are connected with this question, the more I began to consider first how needful this question is to answer, second, how often the Bible addresses this subject, and third, how few sermons I have heard regarding this question. In fact, I cannot recall if I've heard an entire sermon dedicated on the topic of feelings and salvation. Now, I've heard feelings being mentioned within sermons, but I cannot remember one dedicated message on what the Bible says regarding feelings as they are associated with saving faith. So with that said, in the time that we have together tonight, I want to attempt to give a biblical, helpful, and honest answer to this question so that we might personally comprehend what the Scripture says about this for our own spiritual benefit, as well as the spiritual benefit of others. And I think many of us might be surprised at how many true believers are inwardly troubled, mentally confused, and spiritually shaken because they do not know how to properly interpret their feelings and make sense of their faith. And similarly, I think many of us might be equally surprised at how many church-going people who profess Christ with their lips are lost and still without hope and without God in this world because they are depending upon their feelings for assurance rather than the authoritative, unchanging Word of God. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, and I direct your attention to verses 15 through 17. 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 15. Paul says to Timothy, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And then 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 16. You should have it memorized by now. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. 
Peter says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For He received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to Him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with Him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. With these two texts as our foundation, I want to establish five biblical truths concerning what we are to think of our feelings in regards to our faith. And truth number one is a truth that I have been seeking to cement on the forefront of your minds over the last three Sunday mornings. In seeking to interpret our feelings correctly, we must recognize first that God's Word is objective And feelings and experiences are subjective. Let me say it again. God's word is objective. It does not change. But feelings and experiences are subjective. They are subject to change. And this is precisely what the Apostle Peter is establishing In 2 Peter 1, verses 16 through 21, when he says, We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Though Peter had heard certain things that were very real and supernatural in nature, though Peter saw certain things that were very unusual and extraordinary, though Peter felt certain feelings that he had never felt before, Peter declares that God's inspired, preserved, and written word are to be listened to and relied upon more than our feelings because God's word is objective truth. God's word is God's voice. God's word records God's unchanging will. And this is what Paul is telling Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul tells Timothy that it is Scripture and Scripture alone that has been given by inspiration of God and it is Scripture and Scripture alone that is profitable to teach us what is true, to reprove us when we are wrong, to correct us when we stray, and to instruct us in the way that we should walk so that we might be mature. In the faith, God's word is objective. Feelings and experiences are subjective. Jesus prays to the Father in John chapter 17, verse 17. Sanctify them, his people, his apostles. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And then David says in Psalm 19, 7 through 11, that it is the law of the Lord that is perfect, converting the soul. It is the testimony of the Lord that is sure, 
making wise the simple. It's the statutes of the Lord that are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous all together. So practically speaking, we must never let our feelings establish what is true and what is not. We must never trust our feelings alone. So someone says, I feel this is true. And then someone else comes along and contradicts that and says, well, I feel that this is true. Who's right and who's wrong? And another says, well, I feel that God would have me to do this, and I feel that God would have me to do that. Or you've probably heard before somebody say, well, I feel that God would never. I feel that God is okay with. I feel that I'm justified doing fill in the blank. Feelings are not authoritative. Let's get more specific to our question. I feel that I am a Christian. I feel that I am good with God. And that person goes to another person for counsel, and that person says, I feel that you're saved. I feel you have nothing to worry about. And then they start interpreting the feeling of others by their feelings by saying, well, I feel that you are good because I've had the same feelings and experiences you have had. And I feel you have nothing to worry about regarding your salvation because I feel that your feelings are sincere. Now listen, church, feelings are not authoritative. Only God's word is authoritative. And this is the essence of Proverbs 3, 5 that we quote all the time. You know it. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding. Now, how do we trust the Lord with all of our heart? Rather than lean on our understanding. Is this just an emotional experience? Do we trust in the Lord based upon our feelings? No. We trust in the Lord with all of our heart by submitting our heart to the truth of Scripture. We trust in the Lord by trusting and obeying God's unchanging written word. This is not just some emotional experience. It's not just some plastered quote that's put on the side of a mug that you can buy at Hobby Lobby. I'm just going to trust in the Lord with all of my heart. What does that mean? It means trusting God's written word is right. And to establish this truth further, Solomon says in the same book, Proverbs 28, verse 26, he that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. How's that for Disney? You know what Disney's motto is? Follow your own heart. Follow your own dreams. Let your conscience be your guide. The Bible says to do so is to be foolish. We don't follow our own heart. We don't follow our own feelings. We don't follow our own thought. We follow Scripture because Scripture is authoritative. 
It is objective. Feelings and experiences are subjective. So in seeking to answer the question at hand regarding our feelings and our faith, the first truth that we need to recognize from Scripture is the fundamental certainty that our feelings and experiences are subjective, but God's Word is objective. Do we have this point? So vital. Why? Because let's go back to Sunday morning's sermon. Because Satan would have us to rely upon our feelings. And false preachers preach about reliance upon feelings and experiences rather than the written Word of God. Satan's main objective is to get you to doubt the authority of God's Word. So it's vital that we are rooted and grounded in this truth. We interpret everything by the written Word of God. All right, now the second truth that is needful for us to understand is the undeniable biblical truth that God created us with feelings. God created us with feelings. Is that true? Do you have feelings? As we search the scriptures from Genesis 1 to the end of Revelation, we find that when God created man in his own image, he created both male and females with the ability to feel certain feelings. And I think it is safe to say that before the fall, Adam and Eve felt happy and satisfied with God and with one another. Before the fall, Adam and Eve were both naked in the garden and not ashamed. They had no reason to feel embarrassed or uncomfortable or nervous about their image. But after the fall, after Satan enticed Adam and Eve to trust in their feelings rather than the authoritative word of God, there were new feelings that overcame Adam and Eve. They felt guilty. They felt embarrassed by their nakedness. They felt like they were justified in blaming God and each other for their foolish choices rather than admit that they purposely rebelled against the clear commandment of God. And no doubt, Adam and Eve felt sad when they were banished from the garden. So are we people of feelings? Yes. From Genesis onward, we read, of Cain feeling jealous and angry. Adam and Eve feeling distraught over what their son Cain did to his brother Abel. We read of Abraham feeling blessed that God would choose him to be a father of many nations. And then in the same token we see Sarah feeling stress that she is a barren woman. We read of Joseph's brothers feeling hatred towards Joseph and Jacob feeling despondent over the news that Joseph was killed by some wild beast. We read of Moses feeling inadequate to lead the people of God out of Egypt. We read of Israel feeling overjoyed in God's deliverance from Egypt. We read of Moses' feeling frustrated and angry with Israel for their constant murmuring and disbelief in God. We read of Elijah feeling tired, lonely, and discouraged in that time of downcast. In the Psalms, we read of David feeling depressed, downcast, troubled, anxious, misunderstood, abandoned, while also feeling joyful, hopeful, satisfied, and blessed. 
And then looking to the Gospels and the book of Acts, as we examine the feelings of the apostle, I think it is safe to say that we find every human experience, every human feeling expressed. One moment the apostles are happy. The next moment the apostles are confused. They feel scared. And then they feel unsettled. They feel impatient with each other. And then they feel as if they are superior to one another and that Jesus should honor them in the kingdom. They feel annoyed that parents would bring little children to the feet of Christ. And then they feel as if Jesus should call down fire upon their enemies. They feel as if they are going to die during the storm on the Sea of Galilee. Peter and James and John feel privileged to be on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter feels like he should take off the head of Malchus. Peter feels like he can get away with his sin by denying Christ. After Peter's denial, Peter cries. Peter feels like he should go back to fishing. You see, the feelings of the apostles are up and down and all around. Every chapter, there's a new feeling. There's a new experience. And then looking to the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man, we find the same myriad of human feelings, don't we? Jesus, our high priest, was touched with the feeling of our infirmities and he was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Think about it. Jesus is expressed by the prophet Isaiah as one who is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Jesus felt burdened for the lost. He looked over the multitudes. He was inwardly moved with compassion because they were as sheep without a shepherd. Jesus felt angry at the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. He went into the temple and started flipping over tables, chasing them out. There were times in which Jesus felt frustrated and annoyed at the unbelief of his own disciples. Don't you understand what I'm saying? Are you so hard-hearted? Are you so slow to believe what I am here to do? Jesus felt tired at times. This is why he slept on the boat. He got tired. Jesus felt exhausted from ministry. He felt compassion for those who were sick, blind, paralyzed, deaf, and overwhelmed by the burdens of life. Jesus felt sad. The shortest verse in the Bible says Jesus wept. Jesus felt agony on the cross. And he felt joyful. It was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. So the second point that is needful to establish is the fact that feelings are normal and human. If you don't have feelings, I might just suggest that you might be a robot. Feelings are normal and human. It has pleased God to create us with the ability to feel. Now, because of our unique personalities, our different upbringings, and our life experiences, the way we express our feelings may be different from others. Nevertheless, all of us in this life experience the same feelings to one degree or another. So point number one. God's word is objective. Feelings and experiences are subjective. Point number two, God created us with 
feelings. And then point number three. There are certain feelings that accompany true biblical conversion. There are certain feelings that accompany true biblical conversion. Remember, we are seeking to answer the question, is it normal to feel a change when and after you get saved? So how do we answer the question? We answer the question by reading, thoughtfully considering, and believing what God's Word says. Is it normal for someone to feel a change when they are born again? Is it normal for someone to feel a change after they believe on Christ? Someone comes to you with that question, what do you say? Well, let's let God's Word answer the question for us. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world bringeth death. Is there a feeling associated with the gospel truth being articulated by Paul in this verse? The answer is yes. What is the feeling? Godly sorrow. So when, then we ask the question, what is godly sorrow? Godly sorrow is the realization that our actions have offended God. Godly sorrow is the keen awareness that it is our rebellious nature that put Jesus on the cross. Godly sorrow is a sadness of the heart that our personal sins have separated us from God. Now, do we find any examples of such a godly sorrow that works repentance unto salvation in the Scripture? Well, how about the publican in Luke chapter 18? Luke 18, verse 10 Two men went up into the temple to pray. The one was a Pharisee, the other was a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Did he have feelings? What were they? He felt like he was righteous. He felt like he was good enough to be received by God. He felt like he had it all figured out. And the publican, on the other hand, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Did he have feelings? Humility, unworthiness, feeling the weight of his sin. The Bible goes on and says, I tell you, this man, the publican, went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Okay, that's only one instance. Let's interpret Scripture with Scripture. Let me give you another example. We find the same feeling of godly sorrow expressed in those who were saved on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2 tells us that after Peter boldly declared that Jesus was led to be crucified because of the people's unbelief, because of the people's rebellion, and because of the people's wickedness, they were pricked or cut to the heart 
They were deeply convicted at what they had done to the Messiah. They were sorrowful at how sinful they were, which then caused them to desperately cry out, What shall we do to be saved? And this then led to Peter saying, Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And it led to the people gladly, catch that word, gladly receiving the word. And then it caused the true love for the brethren, an inward desire to do God's will, and a joyfulness that God had received them. This is godly sorrow, working repentance to salvation. We find it in the publican. We find it in those who were saved in Acts chapter 2. Okay, those are only two instances. Let's interpret Scripture with Scripture with Scripture. We find the same emotions displayed in the Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16. In Acts 16, we find the jailer at first feeling unconcerned about his soul. He doesn't care about God. He feels unsympathetic to Paul and Silas being beaten and imprisoned for preaching about some man named Jesus. And the jailer goes on his job as normal. As Paul and Silas pray and sing praises to God at midnight, the jailer remains, remains uninterested in the fact that God's people are praying and singing to God. And we know this because the jailer falls asleep. He doesn't care. Keep, keep singing your lullabies. Keep singing your nursery rhymes. I don't care. If he was interested in about their God, he would at that time say, tell me more. I need to know about this God. I need to know about this Savior. He doesn't care. He didn't care that they'd been beaten. But what happens? When there was a great earthquake, not only physically, but spiritually in his soul. When there was a great earthquake and the chains of the prisoners were loosed, he feels that all hope is lost. He feels like he's going to be sentenced to death for losing the prisoner and he feels suicidal. He is ready to take his own life. And as Paul calls out to the guard, assuring them that nobody has left, the jailer comes in trembling, falling down before Paul and Silas, saying, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And that at that moment, he feels the need to be saved. He feels that he is lost without God. He feels that someone outside of himself needs to rescue him from his hopeless condition. And this is another instance of godly sorrow working repentance to salvation. This is the awakening of the Spirit. This is the work of conviction and the work of conversion. After the jailer believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, we find that this jailer feels the need then to take heed to the word of God. He feels a companionship, a brotherhood with Paul and Silas that he has never felt before. He feels the need to show kindness to God's servants by washing their wounds. He feels that he needs to be baptized. And we read that he feels blessed that God would show mercy to his soul. I could take you from one account to another account to show you how these same feelings always accompany salvation, but for sake of time, we won't look at them all. 
But let me just say, when God draws someone to salvation, when God saves someone from the miry pit of sin, when God illuminates the heart and shows the need to be saved, there will always be these five things. There will always be a conviction of sin. There will be a convincing that Jesus is the Christ, the only sufficient Savior. There will be a crying out to God for God to save them. There will be a conversion from darkness to light which produces true peace and joy. And then there will be a lasting change that follows. These are normal, customary feelings that accompany salvation. When someone is truly converted by the Holy Spirit, when someone is born again the Bible way, there will always be a sincere love for God and others that can be seen. It can be seen. It can be known. If someone claims to be in Christ and they are not convicted by their sinfulness before God, we should not assume that they are Christian. No conviction, no conversion. We read it in our scripture reading this morning. Jesus did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So sinners must know that they're sinners and lost without God before they come to Christ. If someone claims to be Christian and they do not believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who has died and risen again, we should not believe them to be Christian. If someone says that they have been a believer since they were little, but they have lived like a devil for decades, we should not pretend that they are a brother or sister in Christ. If someone prayed some little prayer when they were young, if they went to Sunday school, if they graduated from a Christian school, if they grew up in a Christian home, and they fit in the culture of church for a time, but now they want absolutely nothing to do with God, the Bible concludes that we should be concerned for their soul. That's not being judgmental. That's not being mean. That's just plain Bible truth. But someone says, well, I feel that day. Wait, wait. Doesn't matter what you feel. Feelings are subjective. God's word is objective. Listen, we must not interpret our own testimonies or the testimonies of others, not by what we feel, but by what God's word says. And this is the whole carnal Christianity nonsense that could be cleared up at once if we only believed, if we only believed what God's Word says. Hold it up. Hold God's Word up to the experiences of others. Listen to what Paul says, Galatians 5. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, Hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past. Even the Apostle Paul had to tell them over and over and over again that they which do such things habitually shall not inherit the kingdom of God. 1 John 2, 3-5. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know God, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. 
Are there certain feelings that accompany true salvation? Yes. How about the fruits of the Spirit? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance against such there is no law. We're not looking for perfection, but we are looking for the persevering outworking of the fruit of the Spirit. And just to be clear in this point, while there are certain feelings that accompany salvation, we must be careful not to look to and depend upon the extent of one's feelings objectively. So for instance, some will go through greater struggles in their conversion experience. Others will not. Some will be disturbed in their heart for months and even years. Others will not. Some will shed tears when they come to Christ. Others will not. Some will be more emotional and more expressive than others when they are saved. And others may not. Nevertheless, listen, nevertheless, whether somebody is 6, 16, 60, or 106... Whether they were raised in a Christian home or a heathen home, whether they went to Sunday school every Sunday growing up or not, the Bible makes it clear that every true believer will experience the same process of conversion. Every one of Christ's sheep is brought into the sheepfold through a great conviction, a true convincing, a desperate crying out, a genuine conversion, and a lasting change. To some extent, those features will be there. Are there feelings that accompany true salvation? The Bible says yes. Now, having said all this, it's absolutely essential that we unmistakably understand that just because someone experiences certain feelings that accompany true salvation does not mean that they are truly saved. This is point number four. Let me say it again. Just because someone experiences certain feelings that accompany true salvation does not mean they are truly saved. Have I confused you? Let's go back to this morning. Let's not forget that Satan is an angel of light. Satan is a deceiver of souls. Satan is one who can encourage people to think that they are at peace with God by giving them a counterfeit peace, a false hope, and an imitation assurance through similar feelings that accompany true conversion. Now let me shed light on this truth by once again pointing you to Scripture. The Bible says that Pharaoh sent and called for Moses among the plagues and said to Moses and Aaron, I have sinned. The Lord is righteous and I and my people are wicked. Well, guess what? He's got two of the three of the ABCs of salvation. Is he saved? He just admitted he was a sinner and he also confessed that Jesus is righteous, that the Lord is righteous. Well... There you go. Guess Pharaoh was a Christian man. He had similar feelings. 
but he was never born again. The Bible says that Felix heard the Apostle Paul preaching of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, and he had an emotional experience. He trembled. He was convicted. He was bothered. He was concerned and inwardly troubled. But nowhere do we read that Felix repented of his sin and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, "Ah, when I have a convenient season, I'll call for you. I'm good. The Bible says that Judas, when he betrayed Christ, felt sorry for what he had done. And so many people want to say, well, I think maybe Judas might have been a true believer in that point. No, he went to hang himself. If he was a true believer, why did he need to hang himself? He would have been filled with hope and joy. I found the Messiah. God forgave me. Judas is called the son of perdition, the son of hell. Jesus said it would have been better for him not to be born. And you think he went to heaven? The Bible says that salvation does not rest in the mere belief that God exists because the devils believe and do what? They have an emotional experience. The devil knows who God is and they tremble. Now listen to what God's word says about Esau in Hebrews 12, 14 through 17. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up trouble you and thereby many be defiled lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, sounds like the work of the flesh, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. He had an emotional experience. In other words, just because someone cries when they talk about God doesn't make them saved. The fruit of the Spirit is not tears only. The fruit of the Spirit is not conviction only. People can come to church and be emotionally moved by a message, but that is not the chief evidence of faith. You know and I know that people can watch an emotional Christian movie and feel happy and hopeful, but that too is not an evidence of true repentance. If the parable of the sower teaches us anything, it teaches us that there are people who happily follow Jesus for a time, who have emotional experiences, who eventually fall away, proving that they were never converted in the first place. Emotions. Oh, we love Jesus because he's feeding our bellies. He gives out free food. John chapter 6. 1 John 2, 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Oh, but I hear someone saying again, well, pastor, I don't disagree with these Bible verses, but you see, I feel... Oh, there it is again. It doesn't matter what you feel. What does God's Word say? 
God's word clearly says, Jeremiah 6.14, it's possible for someone to say, peace, peace, when there is no peace. It's possible for someone to convince themselves that they are Christian when they are not. This is what Jesus wants to understand in Matthew 7. Those Jesus is speaking of were thoroughly convinced that they were on their way to heaven. And you could not convince them otherwise. These people who will one day be cast into the lake of fire found their security in their feelings, their religious experiences, and their verbal profession of faith rather than the unchanging truths of Scripture. Do you see how important this question is? This is not some trivial subject. This is a matter of life and death. This is a matter of heaven and hell. Are you willing to wager where you spend eternity on your feelings? Are you willing to label someone as a Christian who acts like a lost person and fail to pray for their soul and fail to warn them and beg them to examine themselves because you have certain feelings? Are you unwilling tonight to examine your profession of faith by the truths of God's word and the fruit of salvation because you feel, you feel that you could never be deceived? Come on. I'm not saying this to scare you. I'm saying it to prepare you. I'm not saying this to hurt you. I'm saying this to help you. I'm not saying this because I'm against you. I'm saying this because I am for you. And I want you to have true biblical assurance rather than some man-made, emotional-filled, worldly sorrow that will lead you straight to hell. I cannot tell you how many people I meet who say, I feel that I'm saved, so I'm good. Can't tell me how many people I meet who say, I feel that God would never send me or anyone else to hell. So I have nothing to worry about. I feel that my baptism is sufficient to wash my sins away. I feel that my mental understanding of who Jesus is, my verbal profession of faith in His name, is sufficient evidence of my faith. So I'm going to keep telling myself that I am a Christian. I feel, I feel I feel. Once again, let me make sure that you understand. It doesn't matter what you feel. The question that needs to be asked and answered is, does my profession of faith line up with the marks of true salvation that is recorded in God's Word? At the time of my profession of faith, did God bring a godly sorrow? Did God break me? Did He show me how unworthy of heaven I was? How sinful I was? Did He convince me that the only way to be saved is by grace through faith in Jesus? Did He convince me that I needed a Savior? Did my heart cry out desperately for Christ? Did God bring me to Himself? Did He give me a love for Christ and then... From that time, was there a new life? Was there a breaking away from sin? A breaking away from the world that I once loved? Was there a new hunger for God's Word? The evidence of salvation does not rest on our feelings, but on God's work in our hearts that coincides with the objective truths of Scripture. 
And this leads us then to consider the fifth and final point, which is the truth that we must interpret the reality and sincerity of our faith on what God's Word says rather than interpret it by our feelings. So we're back to the first point. We're back to the strange paradox of the Christian life regarding our feelings. Now listen, there are instances where lost people may feel saved, but they're lost. And likewise, there are instances where saved people feel lost at times, but they're saved. Figure that out. There are times in which true Christians sincerely struggle with having a secure assurance of faith. There are instances in which God's people will be troubled by their feelings so much so that they become anxious about their salvation. Perhaps they've committed some sin that makes them to wonder. Perhaps they've been poisoned by some unbiblical doctrine preached by some false teacher. Perhaps because of old age and the failing of the mind, they become shaken and unsettled. Perhaps because others that they know set up a false standard and expect something that the Bible does not require, they struggle. So how are we to figure out this mystery? How are we to know if we are in Christ or not, if we're doubting? What's the answer? The answer is we submit our feelings to the truths of God's Word. If we are concerned about the state of our souls, we humbly and honestly go to Scripture and we need to ask the hard questions. What are the hard questions? Here they are again. At the moment of my supposed salvation, was it something that I did for God or was it something that God did for me? At the moment of my profession of faith, what was my motive? What accompanied it? Was I just moved by some emotional experience or was I broken before God? Did God cause me to believe that Jesus died for me individually or did I just do what I did to please someone else? At that moment where I think I came to Christ, did God change me from the inside out? Could others tell that I loved Christ and desired to do His will or was it just some religious experience I went through? Was Jesus truly my life or did I treat Jesus as some lucky rabbit's foot to rub during hard times? Was Jesus my Lord or was He just a Sunday morning tradition? How do we know if we belong to Christ? How do we know if we have true living faith that James speaks about in James chapter 2? Here it is. We rest on what Christ has done, not on what we have done. We rest on what Christ has done, not on what we are currently doing. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly, entirely, completely lean on Jesus' name. We don't look to our sincerity. We look to Christ. It's not us. It's Christ. 
Is it normal to feel a change after you get saved? Here was my brief three-paragraph answer to the email. When God truly changes someone's heart, there can be certain feelings that are felt. Yet at the same time, we should not depend upon feelings alone as an evidence of true faith. True faith is rooted in who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus has done for us, which is rooted in what God's Word says not what we feel. There should be something of a sensing of one's guilt, sinfulness, and desperate need for God to rescue, which we call conviction, and something of a relief that God has taken away the burden of our sin when we call on His name to save us. Some cry, some do not. Some have great emotional struggles and experiences, others do not. These vary in degrees and circumstances. However, there should be an inward spiritual knowledge that you have peace with God and a true desire to do His will, which will be demonstrated and known by others. Feelings. Faith. Feelings are subjective. Faith in God rooted in God's holy word, is objective. It's objective. We don't just believe a theory. We believe truth. And it's the truth that sets us free. It's the truth that leads us and guides us. So where are you tonight? Are you troubled by feelings? Do you know Christ? Truly, consider this question. Well, I feel, I feel, I feel, doesn't matter what you feel. Do you know how many people are in hell tonight? Because they were unwilling to submit their feelings to the truths of God's Word. Are you willing to wager your soul on that? 